0: of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. It is a big week upcoming and some big guests on. Uh, Rocco Miller from the Bracketeer, one of the premier bracketologists out there in college basketball, will be joining. Andy Patton from the Locked On Zags podcast will also be on, and we're going to review the big game of the week coming up on Saturday. Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Again, big matchup for first place. St. Mary's has had a few of these over the last few weeks. Uh, games for first place against Santa Clara, against USF, now against Gonzaga. Uh, so big week, and we'll get into all that with Andy um, a bit a bit later. <clears throat> Some housekeeping: be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast, and then also on your favorite streaming services, and then follow along on on social media at Post by Zach, and also the official uh, the Twitter account for the podcast itself on off WCC pod. All right. So yeah, lots to get to. We'll be talking a little bit more bracketology. We'll talk some St. Mary's Gonzaga as that game is now on the horizon, but we're going to take a quick look at what we saw this weekend, uh, this past week, uh, because we, there's some things we have to look at. And first thing, first, let's talk about USF and Gonzaga. Uh, the Zags didn't end up pulling this game out 72 Uh, 77-72, and the first half of this game looked very much like the first half Gonzaga played against Santa Clara just a few weeks ago. USF out-rebounded Gonzaga by eight. USF had nine turnovers in the first half, but held a lead at the break. Jonathan Mobo was not a huge factor in that first half, which, again, if you're looking at that, it's like, that was a good sign. Isaiah Hawthorne had 10 points off the bench. Great, great to see that from him. But in the second half, the Zags turned it up, and they played much better in that second half, as has been the case over the last month or so. Uh, Their second halves have been very strong. Graham E.K. had 19 of his 22 points there in the second half. The defense also showed out, I thought, a, a lot better in that second half. There was a stretch there where they held USF to only one field goal in twelve minutes oh, nearly twelve minutes in the second half. And USF was down ten with about one fourteen left and I I along with the broadcast team thought that this was over and we were going to kind of slow walk this to the end. But that was not the case. USF executed the late game Hackazag plan to to perfection. Uh, they they really extended that game out. they got within three a couple of different times and then I think the the turning point in that was down four uh, there was a fumbled handoff between Marcus Williams and Malik Thomas, which resulted in a backcourt violation and that just absolutely killed the momentum they had w- they had a shot to really kind of get back into that one um, and make and really start to put heavy pressure on the Zags and just could not do it. Uh, but the Zags also were not all that sharp at the end of that game either, uh, missing a good number of critical free throws. Uh, we saw Ryan Nemhard miss a couple of them at there at the end. Anton Watson missed a few, but it was Graham E.K. and Ben Gregg who really came through uh, with some clutch free throws at the end. Over Overall, looking at this one, it's, I mean, Gonzaga still looks like they're trying to find that full rhythm. They still haven't played all that great in first halves um, over the last month. USF. This felt like it was their shot. Uh, I don't think they got. A, they did not get a great game out of Malik Thomas. He shot poorly from the field. Jonathan Mobo was not all that present. He seemed less aggressive than we have come to come to see him normally, especially over the last couple of games against Saint Mary's and Gonzaga. So again, not a not a great way to kind of go into that one, especially when that was one that was kind of a. T- a momentum turning game I felt for the for the league as a whole uh and now with uh, Gonzaga getting that game moving on to to this week we are sitting right now it's Gonzaga St Mary's Gonzaga and Santa Clara now all sit at 1 2 and 3 uh, USF two games back of St Mary's for first one game back of both Gonzaga and St Mary's for that second second third slot uh, Gonzaga and Santa Clara tied at 6-1, and one. and of course, as of right now, Santa Clara has the tiebreaker in that scenario. So the Zags are starting to look, are starting to roll a little bit. They've won four straight. They're 15-5, and 6-1 in the WCC. They did then beat Pacific on Saturday, which also was a little, which also was rocky at the start. Pacific had the lead at half. And I know Pacific has given the Zags some trouble over the last uh, few years. So it wasn't completely surprising they went into Stockton and struggled early. But Graham E.K. again, uh, he hit 18 more points uh, in that second half against the Tigers. And he has started to really, really be the go-to guy for the Zags here in the last few weeks. Uh, coming through clutch in the second half, free throws, buckets, He's been there. He's been the guy, the guy I think that we that many expected to see early on, and he was coming off an injury year. It took him some time to kind of get back into the flow of it, figure out where his place in the offense was, and we're starting to see more and more of that as we get deeper into this season. Graham Ek has been great the last few weeks for USF. Now they have to kind of pick themselves up off the mat. They did get a win on on Saturday. So they have gotten back into the flow a little bit. Uh, this week should be a little bit more of a get right week for them. They were going to be at home for both San Diego and Pacific. Uh, so that, yeah, this should be a way for them to kind of get back into a flow, get back into a rhythm uh, because they, they now have no margin for error on the WCC front uh, right now, again, sitting in fourth, just a, just a half, just a game back of both Santa Clara and Gonzaga. They still haven't seen Santa Clara yet. They still see Gonzaga one more time, still see St. Mary's one more time. So plenty of opportunities for the Dons to climb back in, but now it's the opportunity for them to start to find their rhythm a little bit again, but then also get ready for those games because they're coming and they're coming soon. For St. Mar- Mary's, looking at this other game, so St. Mary's in LMU, played each other on Saturday, and this was one I circled uh, because the Lions had given them fits just a few weeks ago down in L.A., and it was no different in this one. Uh, St. Mary's did end up pulling it out 70-65, to but LMU shot 51% from the field. This is only the second time all year long that the St. Mary's defense has allowed a team to shoot more than 50%. They got 24 points off the bench from Justin Wright. They were plus 5 in rebounding, which is only the third time St. Mary's has been out-rebounded all year long. Kelly Pepe, Will Johnston had 15 apiece. A lot of things went well for LMU. A lot of things went right. But one of the things that got them into trouble was the fouls. They sent St. Mary's to the line a lot, and St. Mary's was very good about, about playing solid defense without fouling, without Really putting themselves as at risk. St. Mary's was 18 for 20 from the free throw line, 90% from the line. Uh, they had also the turnovers. The turnover. So it's not that LMU was sloppy with the ball necessarily. I think they were right about where their season average is. It was that St. Mary's took incredibly great care of the ball. Only four turnovers for the night. Uh, St. Mary's had a 14 to 6 lead, points off turnovers. They also got 25 points from Augustus Marshallonis. Aiden Mahaney did not have that great of a game. Nine points uh for the night. Uh Marshallonis stepped up in a big, big way, also seven assists. And he's he's been that number two he's been really their best player for a while now. And Mahaney has been allowed to kind of like be the be the scoring punch and not have to be that main guy all the time uh and we just saw another example of that on on Saturday with Marshall Lonas really stepping in and taking the and taking the load off of him, and then also Joshua Jefferson also had a great game, like we're starting to see those two really be more and more the focal points, and where the success lies for the Saint Mary's team. Uh, Jefferson had 15 points, six for 10 from the field, four rebounds. Um, so again, another solid performance from him, and in a game in which St. Mary's did did not play its best, did not rebound nearly as well as we're used to seeing them uh, play, which is going to be critical this week. Uh, this is going to be a tough, tough week for St. Mary's, as it is going to be for Gonzaga. I think both of these squads. It's like because it's going to be Gonzaga. LMU on Tuesday night and before they see St. Mary's on Saturday and St. Mary's is going to see Santa Clara in Moraga on Wednesday. So two very tough games, I feel for both Gonzaga and St. Mary's before they see each other this weekend. And of course, I'm going to, we're going to focus because it's only once a week for the podcast. So I'm going to focus on the bigger game, but um, and I'll talk in more detail about those two games because you cannot overlook Either of those contests, LMU won the last time they went up to Spokane. Santa Clara has played St. Mary's tough, and I don't and I don't want to put too much emphasis on what we saw a couple of weeks ago because that just felt like that was Santa Clara coming off of a really highly emotional game and just did not were not able to come through uh, in that one and have the 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 emotional punch that they needed against St. Mary's to stay in that ball game. Maybe that would have happened anyway, but I want to see this kind of clean slate. Let's see what Sandy Clara can do. And I'm sure they're going to be hungry and really motivated to play well on Wednesday to see if they can rebound after that tough loss just a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Before we get any further, um, let's get to both interviews. We're going to get to Rocco Miller. We'll go and we're going to talk about. Uh, Where both St. Mary's and Gonzaga kind of sit as far as the bracket, where he has them, what work is left to do, uh, and what we might see from some of these teams moving forward, and maybe some unsung heroes uh,
1: from the conference to this point.
0: All right. I am... I'm really happy to have Rocco Miller on from the brackets here. One of the premier bracketologists out there in college basketball, Rocco, thanks for hopping on. It's great to have you back. Um, how, how the last couple of weeks? I know you've been seeing a, obviously a lot of hoops and got to see you last week at USF. Uh, so how it's, how's it been going for you the last few weeks?
2: Zach, my neighbor, good to be back on with you. Thanks for having me again. Uh, it's been good. It's been good. I, you know, I've been on the road most of the season, but this last week I, Uh, Hit the reset button, had a lot of different bracket forecasting to zero in on. And uh, the interesting thing about forecasting is I think January is harder than any other time of year because at this stage, you have more non-conference results than you do conference results still. uh, Probably about a two to one margin. And it's just it takes a lot more work because you might have 60 or so teams on the bubble and I might only have seven or eight spots for them and to truly have a full evaluation the path to clarity is just so much longer and exasperating um so like last sunday night and last thursday night going into those forecasts you know a process that would typically be done in about six hours takes me about eight or nine hours um so you know being home was good for that (laughs) and uh and yeah we saw each other at the san francisco st mary's game an impressive st mary's uh kind of classic traditional Randy Bennett uh, beat down to the Dons. Um, you know, you give St. Mary's any time, like a week, to prepare for a big game. Almost every time I would, uh, not that I'm a betting man, but I, w- I would put my money on Randy to, in those situations. And um, they were so prepared. They took Jonathan uh, Magbo out of the game, a potential player of the year candidate. And uh, outside of that, you know, since then, this last week, I've had a chance to watch uh, teams in almost every league, certainly all the power leagues. We've had a lot of shuffling, a lot of surprises out in the Mountain West. We are waking up this morning with Utah State in first place. Out in the Atlantic 10, we're waking up this morning with Richmond in first place. Out in the American Conference, we're waking up this morning with Charlotte in first place. And in the Big 12, we have Texas Tech in first. There's just surprises uh, all over the conference races, which makes this process really, really fun.
0: Yeah, it it's always fun, especially these past few college basketball Saturdays are just and and it's it's just the marathon watches are always fun to kind of wake up and actually have those big east games and then uh cap it off with some WCC or uh, Mountain West action at the end. Um and yeah, it's and and it really does feel like with the Mountain West like cuz there's been so much crossover uh with the WCC and the Mountain West as far as like as they've played a ton against each other in this uh, past non-conference. So very, very much keeping an eye on how all those teams are doing uh, as it's going to relate to the WCC teams and what their outlook is going to be. So let's start with St. Mary's because that's where uh, we last saw each other. I mean, this St. Mary's team just looks like they're rocking and rolling right now. Uh, They're coming off. I believe it's now eight straight wins. Uh, They've won. I think it's 12 of the last 13. And uh now they did uh, they had LMU on Saturday LMU did get, put up a really good fight against them the LMU's given them problems the t- both times uh they've matched up uh, you have them as an 8 seed right now uh going going into the tournament what's what are you seeing from this team that you like and then obviously the metrics are really loving what the gales are doing right now as well
2: right yeah so just in general basketball wise as you said eight game winning streak for those coming on the road i think the really crucial thing for the WCC race is they've already got three of the tougher road games out of the way with the win at Santa Clara, the win at San Francisco, and the win at LMU. Of course, now they'll have the big one. We'll talk about in a little bit at Gonzaga this Saturday. Uh, But a lot of the uh, what's left outside of the two Gonzaga games are extremely manageable matchups. uh, Matchups will be heavily favored to succeed. And I think as it sits today, the snapshot in time, You know you look at st mary's compared to a lot of the quote-unquote bubble today or even like that middle section of the bracket whether it's a seven or eight or nine or ten or eleven seed um, st mary's i think is winning a lot of those comparisons due to the fact that they have a, a road win at colorado state now colorado state's struggling a little bit now so we'll see if that continues to carry as much water as it did last week of course just a heartbreaking loss for the rams uh yesterday against wyoming uh, but as it stands right now, Colorado State is still 34th in the net, which is the top half of quad one. And in um, evaluations, we call that a 1A win and, or an elite win. Uh, so St. Mary's has that. A lot of teams in this area don't have that. And then you supplement that with the win over New Mexico, which is only getting better with age. New Mexico all the way up to number 20 in the net right now. Uh, the win at San Francisco is in that same quad 1B category uh, as San Francisco checks in at number 60 today. and then. Uh, outside of that, you know, they did lose to Utah and Boise, but that overall record in those top uh, seven results is is three and four, but all three are in quad one. So, it, again, it, uh, they don't want to take any more losses there, uh, but you can kind of start to back it up in the bottom of quad two. You got Santa Clara falls there, UNLV falls there. And then, um, again, once you decide, hey, we're putting St. Mary's in the field, and today, that's really not a decision because they're the first place WCC team. Right. That Then you're having a seeding discussion. And I think St. Mary's, as you saw the last couple of years, getting the five seed in the actual bracket, they win a lot of these seeding battles because, as you said, they're coming in at 19th in the BPI, which I'm not a huge fan of the BPI, but it shows up on the team sheet, so it's important. And then they're 30th in the Ken uh, last I checked. So um, <clears throat> with those two metrics in place, uh, they're, they're going to win a lot of the comparisons against those teams next to them. And they've got road wins, whereas I see so many of these like big 12 teams or big 10 teams in this area that still haven't even really won a road game yet. So for me, I'm going to go with the team that's proven that they can win away from home. And, and St. Mary's has that beautiful 6-3 and three road neutral record.
0: Yeah, I mean, St. Mary's, especially with the, the win at LMU, at Santa Clara, at USF, really kind of solidifies that. How much is that those two? And I because I do hear people still bring it up, the Weber State loss and then also the Missouri State loss. I know like those are probably like the two that are bringing up any any hesitation about this team. But in your in your evaluation of them, how much weight is that? Are those two games playing?
2: Well, it's one of those things you certainly never want that. Uh, right now, they're both in quad three, so I guess that's a little bit easier to stomach. There's always a chance that either could f- fall into quad four at this point. Missouri State's had some weird games lately, but they won a couple times this week. Weber State just lost at home to Idaho State last night. So I, I'm confused on the direction of that team. Uh, they have an all star in Dylan Jones, but really played inconsistent the last couple weeks. And if you take more big sky losses, they could end up with a quad four. So that wouldn't be good for St. Mary's. However, I think the overall answer to your question is it's always a balancing act. So how much good did you bring to the table and how much bad did you bring to the table? If the good outweighs the bad or if all things are equal and you're still really impressed with the wins, typically the committee will still go with the positive end of that evaluation. Now, if they take a loss to a Pepperdine or a San Diego or somebody like that in the league, then we might see a situation where the, the bad starts to outweigh the good. Mm. Um, and I do think if you get to the end of the year and you get swept by Gonzaga or lose to them three times, it could also be a situation where it starts to unbalance. So um, although St. Mary's has a, a much better seating placement today, a lot of that's just due to the performance. Um, so don't, don't treat it as if they're fully in and there's no worries. There's still a lot of work
0: to do. Right. So, still so more than a month, Month ago, uh, for re- for the regular season, then also in the conference tournament. So, I'm definitely trying to be as optimistic as possible. Being a St. Mary's grad, but it's like definitely like know that there's still obviously work to do. And we talk, and you mentioned Gonzaga, and Gonzaga is a team that does doesn't have a Q one win, but doesn't have any of those bad losses. They don't have a loss like. Like the Weber State or the Missouri State on their resume. Like they have, they've, their resume is pretty clean. Like they've beaten the teams they're supposed to be. They just don't have that marquee game, which to an extent has really hurt kind of those metrics. Also, the fact that even some of those games, UCLA, USC, Syracuse, yeah. have not aged well right. at all this year. Uh, so when you evaluate Gonzaga, what, because clearly they have work to do if they're going to climb back into an at large conversation. What in your mind is going to get them back on the right side of the bubble?
2: Well, I think they're going to have to beat a few teams that are in the either in the field or closer to the field. Obviously, San Francisco is a really good start there. Syracuse, interestingly enough, like last Monday, Syracuse was in my first four to Dayton as a projected in team. And then the very next morning, or sorry, the next day, they get clobbered at home by Florida State and they, they dropped from I mean, their net was never that strong. I think their net was low 60s, but it crashed all the way back down to 76, and it really made it out of whack for Syracuse themselves to be a tournament team. So one of the things the committee looks at very closely, especially when we get to the end, is you start to snap the chalk on a lot of these bubble teams and say, are they a tournament team? And very simply, yes or no. So in that case, Syracuse last week, if they were a tournament team like I had them, then at least Gonzaga could say, hey, we have a – a win over a tournament team um it's better than having none Uh, but unfortunately today they have none against a a team that would be above the cut line for the at-large and so they just got to keep winning like you said and that's that's not going to be a bad place to be because in the SEC the Big 12 the Big 10 certainly those three leagues you're going to see um about 12 more games per team played each team plays on average two games a week and every single one of those games a lot of those teams match up against each other somebody has to lose so the math of it um is actually not bad for a team that's just kind of sitting around waiting and winning Um, and obviously gonzaga once they're in they're in a strong position for seeding as well being that they're both 22nd in in ken palm and 22nd in bpi Uh, they're 31 in net so anywhere in that range would say hey you should be top half of the bracket gonzaga if they don't get another marquee win Uh, won't be, but there's the opportunity there to really ascend up if they get the win at Kentucky or if they sweep St. Mary's. Some of those things could really uh, change their fate. Otherwise, if they split St. Mary's, they lose at Kentucky, and they're kind of still in this spot come March. um, You know, as long as they don't take the bad losses, I still think they're a quote-unquote selectable team. Uh, Maybe stick them in the first four in Dayton, which would be pretty weird for everybody, but better than not making it, right?
0: Right. Uh, I mean, this is a team that has not missed the NCAA tournament under Mark Few. So it they are, this it does feel like they're just in such a strange place right yeah. now. It's not like that they haven't been on this bubble territory before. Like we we can go back to 2016 or like 2011. Like there, there have been these years uh, in this run where they've kind of been on that cut line um, and have needed some help uh, down the stretch. They have, it looks like about, they're probably going to have five Q1 opportunities left on the schedule. One of them is probably actually the WCC final. So that's one of like, well, if you win that, then you don't have to worry about it anyway. Uh, But looking at it, you have the two games against St. Mary's at Kentucky, at USF. Is there a number of like how many of these they have to pull off? Because it feels, I mean, if they beat Kentucky on the road at Rupp, like that is going to carry much more weight than anything else they're going to get in the WCC, but short of that like what what do you think they're going to have to do like outside clean house and then how many of these do they have to have
2: right i i think winning at kentucky is like so much harder than winning at st mary's i think in reality it is however on the team sheet into like you know the average athletic director on the committee it might look almost as good because the net is so strong for st mary's and the net is all about your opponents so kentucky i don't i'm not looking at it right now but they're Probably somewhere around 15 just give or take in the net and st mary's is 21 so you know if you split those results or even if they won both it's gonna it's gonna look like two extremely strong road wins two of the best road wins money can buy if you can beat two top 25 uh, net teams on the road and i think that'll probably still be the case so even if they split them that's good as well i think i think something to keep in mind is uh right now is they're oh and four in quad one so the problem with losing even though i don't think losing both changes their picture dramatically they go from 0-4 to 0-6 and and that just allows a lot more scrutiny when you had six cracks at it and you couldn't beat any of those teams Um, I think that starts to paint a different picture than we're seeing right now we're kind of seeing it still as all right still Gonzaga they still have these games coming up they'll find a way to win one or two of them and then we'll figure out the rest from there Um, there's no guarantee of that so if they lose both of those big opportunities they'll They'll certainly be 0-6 in their six biggest games. And that alone could be enough reason to feel okay about leaving them out of the field.
0: Well, this Gonzaga team, even in conference play, as we've seen, it's like has has struggled in the first half of games. So we'll go we'll kind of dive in a little bit more into uh what we've seen on the court. Um and cause this I mean, we've seen them we struggle against Pepperdine in the first half struggle against Pacific in the first half yeah. we know they struggled against Santa Clara and usF in the first half of of each of the times they played these teams but we've also seen pretty large swings the other direction of how they how well they have played in the second halves of these games is how what are you when you're looking at Gonzaga got this when you've gotten to see this team what's what's something that like is standing out to you of, like what's kind of like keeping them back from being like probably reaching their potential. And this team's not as good as last year's Gonzaga team, but there's still a lot of talent on this squad. And it just doesn't seem like that. They're clicking on all at the same time all that often.
2: Yeah, I think that's part of it. They've, they've certainly struggled to, um, to shoot the ball on any sort of consistent level. I think I was probably at their, at least m- maybe one of these recent games, they, they did better. I, I know they put up 105 on San Diego, so maybe that was a good day. But uh, up until conference play started, I think their best shooting game was against USC, and I shot, I saw them shoot the lights out in that game. And I thought, okay, Gonzaga's back. You know, We thought USC was going to be much better. They're currently in last place in the Pac-12. So um, I guess you know it's always funny to look back on nights like that where you think you're at a big game and maybe it wasn't that big. But um, from Gonzaga's standpoint, to see them – ranked 206th in three-point shooting is just jaw-dropping um you know they've seemingly have good shooters but just haven't been able to generate enough offense i think you know the thin bench that for this long of the year really starts to play a factor not only in the preparation but also the the minute distribution and how you attack that first half and perhaps just a theory here that's keeping some of the teams like the pacifics and and the other examples you provided um around a little bit longer in the game because, you know, between seven players, they're going to pretty much eat up all the minutes. And uh, when do you want to use those substitutions? How do you want to match up? There's just limited options at Mark Fuse discretion, having steel venters out for the year and a couple other guys banged up and then not bringing people like Hunter Salas back um, there. There's just been a, a roster evaporation, if you will, to the point where, Yes, the guys on the floor are still extremely talented, and it's a good team, but the margins for air are so much thinner than ever before, and I think that's why you're seeing Gonzaga in this
0: situation. Now now we have the matchup this weekend. Gonzaga is going to be hosting St. Mary's. We know this is always the biggest matchup in the WCC. This, This one does feel like it's more important for the Zags at this moment than it is for St. Mary's. But for both of these teams, it does feel like this is a potential swing game in the conference, because if St. Mary's pulls this one out, they'll have a two-game lead on the Zags for, for the conference. Uh, if Gonzaga's able to pull it off, not only do they get their Q1 win, they they are then equal again with St. Mary's atop the WCC. As you're kind of like starting to think about this and looking forward uh, to, to this game, what are What are some things that you think that are going to be critical for both teams to kind of be able to pull this off?
2: Well, well, first of all, I think it was interesting what the league did this week. They stuck both teams with a, a challenging game in between. Uh, But they gave Gonzaga the Tuesday game, which is against LMU who just had a late night war against St. Mary's where they battled them pretty much to the end. Uh, Just kind of a, a nicer setup for Gonzaga because now LMU is going to pack up, get up to Spokane. It's already Sunday. As we record this, they'll play Tuesday night. Whereas St. Mary's is sitting around an extra day and they'll host Santa Clara Wednesday, but Santa Clara didn't even play yesterday. So in that matchup, Santa Clara's actually got the the deeper prep. So I think they're going to get Santa Clara's best punch on, on Wednesday. Yeah. And then you go uh, and, and assuming they'll get up to Spokane, you know, by Friday morning or Thursday night, Um, So I think just from a prep standpoint and the way the league set it up, Gonzaga's got some built-in advantages here. Uh, They'll have that extra day of rest, no travel. And in general, when the game's been played in Spokane, Gonzaga's had their – they found ways to – there's been some really good games, but Gonzaga's always kind of found a way to pull it out. Now, regardless of all that, I'm a a huge um, person when it comes to logistics that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see it play out in league play all the time. If there's a logistics advantage with travel or – prep time. Um, we saw it when we were both at the San Francisco, St. Mary's game, giving St. Mary's a whole week to prep for oh, that yeah. re- really mattered a lot. So <clears throat> anyway, I always want to start off with that, but I think in the, uh, the way conference play has played out St. Mary's, especially in some of their big wins, the analytics are just so much in the, on their side, both offensively and defensively, best team on both sides of the ball. If they can go out there and play a clean game, um, I, I, you know, we'll talk about our unsung heroes of the league yeah. later, but the way Augustus Marshallonis is playing right now, I, I think he's been around so long, he's probably agnostic to the to the kennel. So should guys like uh, uh, Mitchell Saxon and a much improved Joshua Jefferson. Um, we'll see how Mahaney uh, Mahaney's been all over the map on this sophomore com- uh, campaign. Um, so I'm, I'm curious from St. Mary's standpoint, you know, how they attack the moment, but I do trust some of those initial players I mentioned. And on Gonzaga's side, the atmosphere will be insane. I'm not sure if they're doing the ESPN game day thing or not, but I'm pretty sure it's a big ESPN uh, event and uh, Gonzaga almost every single time when, when the hype's big like that, and they're at home, they're going to come through. So I I have to, you know, I would give unbelievable credit and kudos if St. Mary's can go in there and win in that, uh, that entire logistical
0: situation. Yeah, there are definitely some advantages and almost, especially with, yeah, Santa Clara with the longer prep time for Wednesday's game, uh, and we, yeah. you know Herb Zendek's going to be game. <laughs> have something ready, especially considering how yes. the last go-around went. Because uh, I think you, you were at that game as well, Santa Clara-St. Mary's. Were you there for that one? Uh, I just did the Santa Clara win over Gonzaga. Okay. But it was, okay. yeah,
2: like that same week. It was two days later, and they – we so flat, and St. Mary's was so prepared; it was a disaster across the board. Yeah, that,
0: that one it was it was like a perfect storm against Santa yeah. Clara on that Saturday because they they all the emotion of that win, just the perfect environment, Steve Nash in the building. That was a great moment for Santa Clara to get that win. It was. Yeah, having to see St. Mary's two nights later is a is a oh rough go. And like, and there have been a few teams that have actually had to get both teams the same week. I think San San Diego had it week one. They had. St. Mary's-Gonzaga, then Santa Clara had to do it. Pacific had to do it this past week. Even USF, even though it wasn't the same week, it was consecutive games, St. Mary's-Gonzaga. Uh, so there have been a few teams actually in the league that have gotten the the dreaded 1-2 the dreaded punch of having to see them both in consecutive games. You know, like it's the crazy. Not- yeah, the,
2: the league scheduling has been really interesting in this situation, I, and I really... You know, I, I spent so much time on non-conference when the league schedule came out. I didn't dissect it enough, but now that we're going through it, it's just, wow. Like, <laughs> you can almost paint a picture on how this is going to play out with the, the logistics of it all. But, you know, the teams still have to show up. They still have to make shots. They still have to win. So I don't want to put all the credit to to just the schedule, but it's been it's been pretty fascinating to see how this
0: plays out. Yeah. And we're just about through the first half of conference play as we start to turn the calendar in the February. So it's going to be really fun to kind of see how the rest of this plays out. And the schedule is going to next few weeks, don't have the traditional Thursday, Saturday, so it'll get a little bit nuttier uh, the next couple before it starts to straighten out by mid-February. So. As we've kind of hinted, uh did want to kind of talk about some of like maybe this unsung heroes that we've seen in WCC play. And so not the Anton Watsons, not the Grammy K's, not going to talk about like the Aiden Mahaney's. But there are a number of guys in this league yeah. uh, that have really played well and might be flying a little bit more under the radar. And Rocco, I wanted to ask you, of like, who's kind of like been some of the guys you've mm-hmm. at- whether you've been able to see him or as you look at some of like the like the stat sheets and everything else, who's kind of jumped out at you? Uh, some guys that might be just flying under the radar just a bit.
2: Yeah, so I have to start with Augustus Uh This morning on Kempom, he actually cracked the top five players in the league list, which um, I was really impressed by. Uh, of course, he was the hero on Saturday night against LMU. He played all 40 minutes, seven assists, 25 points. He's stepping up and taking big shots in big moments. This is like a a kid I've been thrilled about his ceiling since he got to St. Mary's. And his father, uh, Sharunas, played for the Seattle Sonics when I was growing up. I grew up in Seattle. Um, So the family name, if you're from Seattle in my generation, uh, you you have to be a fan. Because Sharunas was a a rock star for both the Sonics and the the Warriors uh, in the old days. So uh, it's so cool to see his talent finally start to come to fruition. I think the last two seasons and maybe even the start of this season, he's just a little shy, a little timid, chooses to pass before he shoots. And if you ever watch like, and I know you do Zach, like the St. Mary scrimmages or talk to the coaches throughout the off season, they always told me like this kid's lights out in, in scrimmages and practices. He's our leader. He doesn't make mistakes. He's our best on ball defender. Now that Logan Johnson's gone and all of that is finally coming true in the last couple of weeks. Um, and so he just deserves tons of credit because he stuck with it. He took the coaching. He's a team first guy. He's everything that sit the St. Mary's program is. He embodies it all. And then, you know, just a quick shout out also while we're on St. Mary's to Joshua Jefferson. You and I talked a little bit about him, um, how just how much he's grown up and how willing he is to take big shots. He was a menace to San Francisco a week ago and that big road win and um, he's matured a ton. So those two guys really moving the needle. Don't want to bash Aiden Mahaney. He's an incredible talent as well, but he's just had a couple performances this year that, that he just can't find his rhythm or his stroke. And you saw last night, he missed his first four or five shots. Randy gave him the quick hook. So he doesn't have the rope that he had at the start of the year. And mainly um, it's because Randy knows he's got these other options that are a lot more trustworthy like Marshall Onis and Jefferson. So um, kudos to those guys at San Francisco. I want to give a ton of credit to Malik Thomas. He's carrying the guards at San Francisco very clearly, even though there's been another emerging guard in freshman Ryan Beasley that's playing well. Um, but Thomas has scored in double figures in 12 straight games, a couple of uh, Kempom MVPs in that stretch. He was the leading scorer in his high school. He didn't go to the biggest high school. And I think at USC, he really struggled uh, to be around so many great players and find his role, carve out a role. And at San Francisco, he came with a much more uh, learning mentality, uh, sponge-like, if you will. Marcus Williams was the anointed and well-deserved leader to start the year. But you've seen how Malik Thomas has kind of slowly taken over that alpha role. And Gerlofson's going to him more and more. And he's been incredibly efficient. Um, his efficiency numbers are, are fantastic during this 12-game stretch. And uh, you can see his talent level and skill level or through the roof. Um, so shout out to Malik over at San Diego. Um, a guy that kind of jumped off the page, obviously had a great game in yesterday's win against Pepperdine is Steven Jamerson. Um, he's now had six, six straight productive games and he was just an automatic bucket last night. He went 10 for 11, all inside the paint. He's a 610 200, um, uh, 230 or 240 pound load. And he's really starting to find his rhythm under, under Steve Lavin. I think when the see, um, season started at San Diego, uh, they were so bad last year and and they basically just scrapped all the older players, um, kept a couple guys like Jamerson, I think it's in his second year there. Um, a lot of freshmen and at the time and during the press conferences and the, and the uh, media day, I was kind of under the mindset, like, okay, this team's going to have a really rough season, but the good thing ab- about what Lavin built was he's got a lot of try-hard players, a lot of guys that want to get better. They want to be there. They want to develop. And there's not a, there's really no egos at San Diego. So guys like Jamerson are starting to emerge because you have a culture like that you can start to succeed when kind of everybody else has written you off. Um, and so so credit to Steven. And then I think the last one, um, you, you, I'm sure you've talked about him. I've got a few others, but – I'll, I'll, I want to pass it to you at some point. Uh, Michael Ajayi, he's just had a monster year for Pepperdine. In fact, his last couple of performances haven't been as great. But just the overall come-out-of-nowhere Juco guy, um, success story at Pepperdine, he's certainly going to get a ton of calls to transfer up at the end of the year. He's just been a double-double machine for for the Waves.
0: Yeah, all those guys you've mentioned have been have been really, like, you started to see something grow with those, with those guys like Michael Jai, yeah, making that leap to D one and really kind of like becoming the guy, especially on a team that was supposed to have Javon Porter early on. He got, and he was hurt, um, wasn't available. And yeah, he kind of stepped right into that role and really started to play well. San Diego is an interest. And then San Diego, I feel like they have a lot of really interesting pieces again, like they're so young. So like, there's a lot to kind of pull from, but one of the guys, uh, you mentioned Jamerson, but one of the guys I really looks fascinating is Kevin Patton Jr. He is kind oh, of like yeah. been like a, g- almost a glue guy for what San Diego has been able to do. Like he he rebounds, he plays defense well. You see the offense starting to show up a little bit here and there. He's really to me kind of one of those guys who's starting to uh, starting to figure it out again. Like a, that San Diego team is so young, so raw that I think we're just seeing. They're going through the growing pains right now. They're getting beat up in conference play. They did pick up a win last night yeah, against beat Portland. Uh,
2: yeah, and beat Portland yeah. on Tuesday. So they got two in a row. And yeah. that game was wild because you had um, uh, P.J. Hayes come out of nowhere and hit a school record nine three-pointers and score 33 points. And then, of course, last night the regression monster hits him and he didn't make any. But uh, they still won the game. So that's, just, that's an even better sign, I think, that the Toreros are finding multiple ways to win.
0: And I think, especially with the pep, the win against Pepperdine last night, because they had Pepperdine on the ropes just a week ago, and and Pepperdine was able to come back. I think it was like they came back for fifteen down in that second half and and beat the Toreros. The fact that they were able to come back this week and hold them off and fend them off, I think, shows some growth uh, from yeah. that squad. That, yeah, they're starting they're they're figuring it out of how to close out these 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 tough games. Um, so I think this, absolutely San Diego is fascinating to watch because yeah, they're so young, there's talent there. Uh, it's just a matter of how long is it going to take to develop it into something that's going to challenge in this league. Um, and I think that's, that's going to be a tough, tough road to climb. Yeah. And I think one other thing that's helping them close out games is they're
2: 79% from the line in, uh, in league play, best free throw shooting team by a, by a wide margin. And, uh, that of course will only help you win close games if you can get into them. Now, some of these teams, you'll probably agree, are out of their talent league, so they they are going to have a few more uh, punches to the mouth as time goes by. But you know, when they play their pacifics and portlands and pepperdines, they they've already played pepperdine twice. But um, it'll be interesting to see if they can if they can put a scare into a couple of these top teams.
0: That's the thing, like, and I said it before, um, as league was getting started, like San Diego had ten wins before before uh, conference play started so like they and they had the win against arizona state so they had some level of confidence that they could do this uh, now i wasn't going to put them <clears> start <throat> to slide them past the five mark but they very clearly they clearly had shown the talent that, that maybe they could be the one who slides into that sixth spot uh, and is kind yeah. of the leader of that bottom tier of the league yeah, and I can see it. If you go back and look also, the
2: Arizona State win was a splash win for sure, but they also had some really nice wins. With you Looking back, I saw Arkansas State play live at Belmont in a really close game. They beat that Arkansas State team by 14 in the uh, MTE they played in down in uh, Palm Desert. And then this Northern Colorado team, to me, has emerged as probably the number one contender for Eastern Washington in the Big Sky. Again, we're talking – lower-level WCC right now, but the fact that they knocked them off, I mean, that's, to me, like at least three pretty impressive, in hindsight, non-conference wins that they picked
0: up. Yeah, that's... They're a team that I do feel like it's... I don't... Obviously, like, they're already done with Gonzaga, and Gonzaga smacked them twice. They've seen St. Mary's once, and that didn't go well for them either. No. Uh, but But it does seem like that they are a team who could sneak up on the likes of a USF. They could sneak up on... A Santa Clara or an LMU, like they, they, they to me feel like the dangerous team. If you're, if you're one of those teams trying to actually get one of the buys for Vegas,
2: right? Yeah, and maybe Santa. Yeah, they play both San Francisco and Santa Clara this week on the road. Um, they didn't match up very well with the Dons the first time, lost by 20 yeah. at home. But I do think with Santa Clara coming off that St. Mary's game, they
0: might be able to give the Broncos a a, a good run on Saturday. Yeah, they're they're an interesting team. They're I think it's going to be just fascinating to see them grow and see how they can get better throughout the course of the year. Because that that bottom tier of the league is kind of wide open to see who can sneak into that sixth seed and not have to play in that uh op- that opening at opening game, or at least like how they're <laughs> going to restructure because with the 19 versus the ten team tournament.
2: Yeah, I think the format is a. Um... Let me think here. We've got
0: the, I think it's eight nine play
2: each other. Yeah.
0: Well, you've got the
2: four three. We're going to get the single buy. Yeah. And and then you've got the one two with the double buy. So that means, yeah, you'll have to have an eight nine game play, and then five will get the winner of that, and then six will play seven. So if you are in the eight nine, that's the worst spot. You have to play an extra night early.
0: Yeah, and that'll be. I think that's going to end up being the Thursday because we still have Sunday off this year for the tournament. (laughs) That must be a TV problem, uh,
2: but I'm sure they'll get that. I think they'll get that worked out with the um, with the
0: Beavers and Cougars joining next year. That's true. Levantine tournament tournament uh, starting next year for the WCC. At least oh, yeah. for a couple of years. See if anyone else can um, see how long they stick around. And, and I'm sure it's that's going to be for the the period in which they figure out what they're going to do with the pack two. At the moment, who they're going and, to probably swoop from probably some of the other conferences, but we'll see. Yeah. goes down the road.
2: And it's a, it's a two year deal. So you got them for at least two years and you know, that will shake things out as time goes, but a hey, great time to advertise, advertise the Beavers and Cougars both coming off sweeps this weekend. The, <laughs> the, the Beavers just swept the Arizona schools for the first time in nine years. And it was their first sweep in any PAC 12 um, series in, in four years against anybody. Uh, so, But great, great time to be a beaver. And then um, the Cougars are are firmly on the bubble after beating both the mountain teams, which was really impressive uh, as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, adding those two is going to, it's going to strengthen the league. Like you have a Washington State team who I think that when it was announced actually had the best net rating of anyone in the, would have been the best net rated WCC team at that moment. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, Oregon State, I think, would have slotted in right around five or six, I think at that time um i need to take a look back to see where they are now but i'm probably still right about that mark um as we're talking right now as well but yeah it's going to be exciting when those two join the league and i think it'll also give it's 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 helpful for both to me it's it's going to be helpful obviously the wcc to get that exposure with two larger schools but i think also that those two might actually be pleasantly surprised at the competition level that they're going to see in a quote lesser league uh, than what they're used to
2: yeah and I I think logistically I'm excited that nobody will be on an island anymore because you'll have two eastern Washington teams two Oregon teams uh, four northern Cal teams and three southern Cal teams so you have a lot of different scheduling opportunities with the the travel packages um, to go play them and it's super close to go gonzaga to washington state and also uh portland to oregon state
0: yeah those will, yeah it does help out at least for a couple of years and i'm a little disappointed that baseball wasn't coming with them because having oregon state baseball <laughs> they're would too have been fun to, yeah they're just but, too elite they they're, yeah, they're yeah, too big they're too, too big yep <laughs> <laughs> i get that I like i was i saw that i'm like that would have been fun but yeah they're they're that is an elite baseball program for sure at yeah. oregon state yes. yes um uh all right Well, thanks, Rocco, for hopping on. This was great to be able to have a chat with you about the bubble, where we are as far as, like, the tournament goes. Uh, Gonzaga-St. Mary's this Saturday is going to be fun. Uh, Rocco, where are you going to be uh, this weekend?
2: Ooh, good question. I have not made a a final decision. I'm floating around a few ideas, um, so stay tuned. Um, I will be around uh, town for a few more days at least, and then Thursday I am getting close to – possibly going down to Phoenix to see Grand Canyon. I haven't seen them yet this year. They play Seattle U. I haven't been to a game at GCU yet, and that's probably their best competition. So uh, I feel like that's the time to do it. And then Saturdays are always difficult, um, unless it's a late-night game, like we had um, uh, uh, last week, just because I am trying to track all 32 leagues throughout the day. I kind of enjoy all the ping-pong, not knowing which game to Focus on until we get down to like five minutes to go. Um, so I might do that again Saturday, but but uh, the following week I, I I've already decided I'll be in Utah. So I'm really excited about that. I'll have Nevada at Utah State on that Tuesday the sixth. Arizona at Utah on Thursday the eighth. So a lot of a lot of fun ones coming up, and, and most of them out here in the western part of the country.
0: Sounds good. Have a great time um, the next couple of weeks in in your travels, and uh, we will definitely catch up down the road.
2: Sounds great, Zach. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.
0: I want to thank Rocco Miller for popping on and and talk, going through what we're going to see the rest of conference play, where Gonzaga sits, where St. Mary sits. I think it's fascinating to kind of see where where each of these teams kind of lines up and what they still need to accomplish. Gonzaga obviously has a little bit more of a a hill to climb than it's used to having. Not to say that they're not very capable of doing it. I think we just need to see how these results come, come through. And Saturday, I think, is going to be another big test for that squad amongst another a slew of tests that are coming their way, including the Kentucky game uh, in two weeks. Okay. So we've talked a bit more. We've talked a bit more about both of these squads. Let's get more into the matchup itself and I'll bring in Andy Patton, and he and I will go over what we're seeing, what we're going to look for in this matchup between the Zags and the Gales. All right, always happy to have on Andy Patton from Locked On Zags podcast and the Locked On College Basketball podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Andy Patton CBB. Andy has it going, and I'm sure like it's it. the week is finally here. I'm starting to get juice for this matchup, St. Mary's and Gonzaga, on Saturday.
3: Yeah, I feel like uh, St. Mary's fans are going to be a little bit more excited about this matchup than Gonzaga fans right now. We're kind of coming off of a a week that didn't go the way that we hoped it would in in terms of a 2-0 week. You know, still beat San Francisco at home, still beat Pacific on the road, but not particularly inspiring performances from the team. So I think, especially when you look at the way St. Mary's has been playing lately, it's definitely... A little bit more anxious energy uh, in Spokane than it has been in the past, but certainly always, uh, always excited for this game to be coming up. Yeah, and and you mentioned
0: mentioned like Gonzaga's had some slow starts over the last few weeks. Slow start against Santa Clara, slow start against Pepperdine, against Pacific, against USF, and but but in each of those cases, they've had much better second halves. They've been able to make those adjustments, and especially against both Pacific and Pepperdine. And also USF, we saw like Graham E.K. just absolutely went off in those, in those games in the second half. Just kind of talk about like what you're seeing from this squad because they are starting off slow, but they are figuring it out later in the game.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. This has kind of been a trend for Gonzaga for a long time. Like I remember this a lot a decade or so ago when I was a student. They had a lot of slow starts and they figured it out in the second half. I think part of that is... Is Mark Few making halftime adjustments? Uh, And I think another part of it is just that Gonzaga is kind of going to go in with their game plan. Teams are having to game plan against them. That has always been the case in the WCC. Same areas is one of the few teams that, you know, you kind of have to have a a more distinct plan against. So historically, Gonzaga goes in and does what they want to do. And the other team is doing something different to try to stop them. Pacific ran a zone, which they don't normally do. And we saw other teams trying different strategies against them and and. You know, are they going to double gram? Are they going to not double gram? And and you know, every team kind of does it a little differently. So I think Gonzaga has to be kind of reactive to whatever the opposing team decides to do. And sometimes it takes them a little longer. And I think with this particular iteration of the Zags, because they don't have a lot of familiarity playing with each other, they're a really new group. Only three returners from from last year, and they're kind of all playing different roles than they did last year. So I think it's just taken them a little longer to make those in-game adjustments, we are seeing them happen. And, and you mentioned Graham, I think he has 37 points in the last two second halves of basketball games. He's been an absolute beast uh, when he gets into the second half. Would love to see that start a little earlier for him. Obviously, that would uh, be something that would help Gonzaga fans, you know, breathe a little better during the games. But uh, certainly seeing what he's able to do in the second half of games has been a huge boost and, and is the reason that the Zags came out of last week on skates. And I mean,
0: one of the other things that seems at least like you look at the stat sheet and it actually has been a little bit of a concern has actually been the rebounding against mm-hmm. some of the tougher rebounding teams. USF came in out rebounding Gonzaga. Santa Clara did the same thing against the better squads. some of the better squads in the WCC. It's, how much of a concern is the rebounding been over the maybe the, la- the last couple of weeks, at least against these opponents that are in the in the conversation of actually being at the top of the league.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't have expected that to be an issue. And and in fact, when I, I spoke with Coach Chris Gerlison, the San Francisco head coach, uh, the day before the game, and he talked specifically about rebounding. He said, you know, Gonzaga's plus 10 on the boards. Like, this is a big area for us. And, you know, for them, they had they have a seven-footer who comes off the bench, and you think he played a minute in that game, if not less. Like, he played the last 30 seconds of the first half. Uh, Mobo didn't have a particularly great game, and yet they still managed to out rebound. Gonzaga and and Santa Clara, same thing. Now, Santa Clara is one of the tallest teams in the country per average height, so I'm not as surprised. For them, but for Gonzaga, they, they recently made a, a starting lineup change and added Ben Gregg over Dusty Stromer. They're starting three big men who are six nine and taller, and yet they're struggling to get boards. I think it's uh, a, a physicality thing in some ways. Uh, guys are getting pushed around a little bit, which is not something we're used to with these Gonzaga teams. Uh, certainly the guards are not particularly big, so occasionally we'll see the guards getting out-rebounded, which isn't as uh, surprising, but I think the rebounding is something that you know on a on a list of concerns coming into this game against St. Mary's, and certainly uh, next week uh, against Kentucky. Like rebounding is a, is a huge one. With uh, if Gonzaga can't can't get offensive rebounds, if Gonzaga can't give St. Mary's second chance opportunities, like that's going to be a huge problem for them. So it's definitely something I am hoping the the staff is looking pouring over tape and figuring out what is going on here. Why are we getting out rebounded by teams that frankly we should be able to out rebound and, and trying to address that issue.
0: And and you mentioned one of the switches. Obviously, the recent switch has been Ben Gregg. And you and I talked a bit about it last Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, about just, like, his insertion into that lineup and what difference it's made. Because, like, he is the, that Energizer bunny that this team, ne- that they've needed. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that he's been in the starting lineup clearly has made a difference for them. Uh, and And you and I have also talked about this that it has that three big lineup has actually worked a little Mm -hmm. bit more than I think we thought it would initially. Uh, But just kind of talking about like what, like overall, it really just feels like this team has started to at least maybe like find their roles a little bit more in the last few weeks. And part of that has been in line with Ben Greg and inserting into the lineup.
3: Yeah, I think I think a big part of Ben's move into the starting lineup Was the benefit that it gave for for Dusty Stromer? And Dusty had a really bad game against Pacific. So we're coming, you know, we're talking about him coming off of a a rough stretch. And and he's a freshman. And I think that we're going to see inconsistencies from him, just like we've seen inconsistencies from Braden Huff. Well, he'll have one game, two games, three games in a row. And you're like, wow. He looks fantastic. And I'm getting mailbag questions of like, is he going to break Drew Timmy's scoring record? And then he goes three games in a row with six total points. And you're like, oh, no, he's a freshman still. And he's still trying to find it. And Dusty, you know, he's not being asked to do as much offensively. So for him, a good game might be six points, four boards, uh, two steals. And a bad game might be zero points, three boards. And you're like, well, it doesn't look that different, but it feels different and you can tell on the floor. And I think, for the Zags having Dusty be in a role where he's not asked to do as much, where he is coming off the bench, which was his expectation all along when they, you know, they Steele Venters was added really early in the off season. So there was always the plan that Dusty was going to come off the bench. I'm confident that that had been what was communicated to him until Venters tears his ACL and they have to switch that lineup. And so I think putting Dusty in a role that he's perhaps more comfortable, there's less pressure on him seems to have really worked. Meanwhile, Ben, is a great floor spacer. He's more adept at playing on the perimeter offensively in ways that I think helps Gonzaga. Uh, he can also go down low and, and body people if he needs to. He's a really good rebounder defensively. He's not as good of a perimeter defender as Dusty, and that has hurt Gonzaga. But that's what that's what Anton Watson's so great about, is you can move him around and you can say, okay, whoever the other team's best player is, whether they're two or three or four or five, we're going to throw Anton on him. And, and, you know, Watson guarded Mobo, and, and Mobo didn't do much in that game against San Francisco. And so I think being able to have Watson be that kind of jackknife defensively has allowed them to play Ben in this starting lineup and get more rebounds and have more energy and also have a more uh, prepared Dusty Stromer coming off the bench. So it's really been a win in a lot of ways, uh, even coming off of a poor performance from Dusty last week. Uh, I think it's it's really helped this team in a lot of ways.
0: And. And going into this one, it really does feel like I mean you're going to need everybody to play well against St. Mary's to to be able to beat this team. And I think the same goes for the other side. St. Mary's is going to have to play incredibly well to win in the kennel because it's just such a difficult place to win, no matter how good you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And just thinking about like what like Anton Watson is going to bring in this one. He is he's the guy who's been there the longest. He has seen a multiple iterations of this St. Mary's team. Uh, he it feels like. He, He's going to have to be like the the one who gets them going early on, like to set the tone to an extent because he is the guy who has seen this team so often. He's mm-hmm. had the ups, the downs with this squad against St. Mary's, knows this team. And again, this is a team that on the St. Mary's side is the same team as a year ago. You yep. have some missing pieces, but everyone he's seen them all already. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as is Nolan Hickman, uh, mm-hmm. but like just kind of, it feels like to me that this is a game where Anton Watson is going to have to set the tone early.
3: Yeah, I think he's the biggest X factor for this game. I think Graham EK and Mitchell Saxon are going to, it's going to be a big battle down low, of course, but that may, you know, neutralize Graham in, in ways that a lot of other teams in the WCC are unable to do. Uh, but if Mitchell's guarding Graham, then that, you know, that may free up Watson a little bit. I'm guessing Jefferson will probably guard him. Uh, And and Anton, you know, we've seen in games where Graham has had good post players against him. Santa Clara has good posts. Anton Watson had 30 plus points. Uh, UCLA has good post players. Anton Watson had 35 points. Like, I think that that is a recipe that Gonzaga has used when teams have been able to slow Graham down, when Graham gets in foul trouble, whatever it may be. Anton is, and a lot of times it's kind of just Gonzaga's offense breaks down and they can't, you know, the outside shooting's not there, which I think that'll be a struggle against St. Mary's and their defense. If the outside shooting's not there and if Graham-Ike's not there, Anton Watson's their offense. He was their offense against Santa Clara, against UCLA. There's been other games where he's just kind of, taken over and and they just give him the ball and let him go to work. And I think that we might see a fair amount of that. And I'm not sure how effective it'll be against St. Mary's one-on-one ISO basketball doesn't always work, but I didn't think it'd be effective against UCLA and he missed one shot. So he's capable of doing it. He's seen this team a lot. I think if I had to, say which one player who needs to step up and have a career or at least a a really, really good type of game for Gonzaga to win this game. It's Anton Watson. And frankly, it's not close. Like uh, other players will need to play well. Like you said, everybody will need to play well for Gonzaga to win this one and vice versa. But it's going to come down, I think, a lot to Anton Watson, just based on personnel, as well as his kind of experience and familiarity playing against this team. Now, we talked about and
0: kind of alluded to it. I was going to ask what what does Gonzaga have to do to win? And I and so maybe it's more along the lines of, can what sort of style is this game going to look like mm-hmm. if Gonzaga is going to win this ballgame? Because we know that both of these coaches are very capable of making you play to their pace. Mark View mm-hmm. is very good at put forcing you to play more up-tempo. Randy mm-hmm. Ben is very good at making you slow down. Is, could Gonzaga potentially win a St. Mary's-paced game, or is this a scenario where they're going to have to force the tempo and play a little bit faster to to be able to pull it off.
3: Gonzaga's in an interesting spot this year because they're not playing as much of a tempo game as they have in the past. They, they don't have the personnel for it. Really, they don't have the depth for it, frankly. I mean, if Ryan Emhart and Nolan Hickman are going to play every minute of every game, which is more or less what has happened, uh, getting into track meets is just not something that they're going to be uh, able to do. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen against St. Mary's. That's more of a concern of like, are they just going to get outran by Kentucky the week later? Uh, but for St. Mary's, I think this gonzaga team may not try to to super outrun them the way they have in the past i do think they'll try to get out in transition at every opportunity that they can but st mary's doesn't turn the ball over all that over all that often and gonzaga is not going to try to get in transition on made baskets. So I, I think it won't be as much of a running game. And Gonzaga is also a better defensive team than they've been in a while. And, and that's not getting as much attention as I think it maybe could or should, just because most the attention on is on the fact that they haven't played all that well. They've lost more games than usual. They're not in the top 25, et cetera, et cetera, but this is a good defensive team. And so I think we're going to see a game that isn't as high scoring as Gonzaga is used to against St. Mary's and and, and a lower scoring, lower pace game might honestly favor the Gales, but it might be a benefit to this iteration of Gonzaga, which is why I'm so fascinated by this game, because I do think that Gonzaga's half-court defense has improved enough to, to make life a little harder for St. Mary's and And the flip side, they're not going to be out and running. And and I think the half-court offense, Gonzaga's half-court offense is the key to this game because I think they'll play fine defensively, but St. Mary's is going to be great defensively as they always are. And how Gonzaga responds to that, how they find ways to get points, are they settling for threes because St. Mary's is going under on screens? Are they two of 20 like they were against Santa Clara? If so, there's no way they win. But what else can they do? Is it just Watson going crazy? Uh, Is Graham able to get sacks in foul trouble? Like, There's a lot of different things that could happen that could really help Gonzaga in this game, but I think it's really going to boil down to to their half-court offense because I don't think we're going to see that tempo push that we've seen from them in the past.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And again, you mentioned the defense uh, held USF with only one field goal for a 12 minute stretch there in the second half of that game. Like, so that's something you do have to keep them known. Like that's a very efficient USF team and they only had one field goal for the vast majority of the second half um, up in Spokane. So looking at this, I mean, the Zags have now won five straight against St. Mary's in the kennel. Last loss was one of the Jock Landale teams back in 2018. So it has been a while since St. Mary's has actually been able to win up there. Who, like, what does it look like or who do you think is the one who goes off for St. Mary's if they are to pull off what I would still consider an upset in the kennel?
3: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it starts with Aiden Mahaney. I think it has to start there. Uh, you know, Gonzaga's guards, I think Nolan Hickman will probably draw the assignment. Uh, he's typically been Gonzaga's guard who who defends the opposing team's best guard. And, and Ryan Nemhard will, will probably get Marcelonis in that matchup. And it'll be really interesting to see how that works. Uh, Mahaney killed Gonzaga last year just by getting the high pick and rolls, going to the basket, uh, challenging Gonzaga's lack of rim protection. And that's still kind of an issue for the Zags. They're a better defensive team this year than they were last year in a lot of ways. And and part of that is, you know, Drew Timmy wasn't a particularly good defensive player. Julian Strother wasn't a particularly good defensive player. And, and the players they've added in are, are better. But Graham E.K. is not like a huge shot blocker. That's not his role. That's never been his role. So I, I don't think that if, if Mahaney can get to the rim, Gonzaga's posts are going to have to find ways to prevent him from scoring without fouling him. And that's... That might be tough. And so if Mahaney can get to the rim, get to the free throw line, put Gonzaga's bigs in foul trouble, that puts so much pressure on Gonzaga. And, and um, some of the games that they've really struggled it, against Pacific, Watson picked up two fouls in the first eight minutes or so. I think Graham EK had two fouls in the first like five minutes of that game. And if that becomes an issue for Gonzaga, it's I mean, they have front court depth. They have four bigs, but, you know, they start three of them, so they're kind of limited in how much they can do there. So I think it starts with Mahaney. I think it has to start with him just because of how talented he is and how well he's played as the season has flipped into conference play. Uh, I mean, this team's struggles early in the season were a huge part because of him, you know, adjusting to being the man and and having some some struggles offensively. And so I think this team kind of lives and dies by him in a similar way to Gonzaga with Anton Watson. And so I think... It starts with him. Certainly, you know, Marcelonis, if he has uh, – early in the year, he had some horrifically bad shooting nights. If that were to show up, that, that could put more pressure on Mahaney, make things problematic for St. Mary's. So he's a he's a big factor as well. But I think it, it starts with the point guard.
0: And and for both of these teams, I don't want to overlook the fact that both of them do have one game before they see each mm-hmm. other. Gonzaga does have LMU on, on Tuesday night, and then St. Mary's hosts Santa Clara – on Wednesday. And I don't think either of those are going to be easy tests either. No. Uh LMU has actually played St. Mary's really well the last two times. Uh they they won in the kennel the last time they visited. Mm-hmm. So this is still a this is still a a capable LMU team. And it's going to be the return of Dom Harris to the kennel. Uh, Andy it's like seeing hi, him return and with that team mm-hmm. uh just like some some general thoughts of like what you're expecting to see. Uh, for Tuesday night.
3: Yeah, it's unfortunate the way that things went with Dom in in Spokane. The injury, he missed an entire year. That obviously slowed his development and his ability to crack the rotation in last year's team, I think. The expectation was that he'd play more for them, but You know, they didn't know that Rasir Bolton was going to come back when they got that commitment from Malachi Smith. Suddenly they have two veteran guards on this roster. Uh, They kind of committed to Nolan Hickman. Once they realized he wasn't a great point guard, they were kind of trying to scramble to find somebody else to step into that role. And and Hunter Salas was kind of playing out of position and it didn't work for him. And Dom just never really kind of got that playing time. And, And it's great to see him thriving. You know, he's he has done particularly well against not so great teams. If you look at his shooting splits against better teams, they he struggles and so that'll be an interesting element of you know gonzaga not only being a game that's kind of more emotionally uh driven for him and for the zags and for the kennel and everything uh it's also a good defensive team so i'm really curious how he's going to play because lmu has been more dependent on him than i think uh, they may have planned to be he has yeah. i mean which shout out to him for for putting himself in that position but the rest of their guards haven't been as consistent and so it'll be interesting I think Dom's the big factor in that game regardless of the outside factors uh, just in terms of if he shoots poorly that LMU team t- tends to not do very well so it should be a, a fun game a highly emotional game but uh, one that Gonzaga absolutely cannot overlook when they're getting ready for St Mary's Yeah
0: that that LMU team I mean, there's so they have they brought in so many guards in the off season mm-hmm. uh, it was almost like let's just get them all and see one of them has to stick mm-hmm. right so I think that was almost the strategy of like, they got a lot of good quality guys coming from, uh, largely mid-major programs, smaller programs that most of them unfortunately haven't hit, but yeah, Dom Harris has been one of the more consistent options that they've had. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the, what I, one of the lists that one of the things between St. Mary's and Gonzaga is there have been a number of villains throughout mm-hmm. the years, um, in this rivalry and each of us have picked a starting lineup of, of villains from the other side. So I have f- five zags. Andy has five gales of like, who, who are the list of guys that just get under our skin every time we either hear their name or s- saw them on the court. And Andy, I'll, I'll start with you. We'll go back and forth and let's do, we'll start at the guards and we'll work our way down to the
3: center. Okay. Okay. Uh, start with the guards, then, because I, I was going to start with the center. As you oh, can probably imagine, or actually,
0: you know, what, whichever way you want to start. Like, we'll just go back. Well, I mean, I was going to start uh, with
3: with with the true villain, Omar, um, <laughs> the same hand. He was the the ultimate first villain that I can recall. I mean, for me personally, as a freshman in his, I think sophomore year or junior year, maybe. Uh, and just getting taught from the other Kennel Club board members, like, hey, we don't like this guy. He didn't like us. We don't like him. Like, that that's what this is like. And I don't know how many games I'd been to before my first St. Mary's game, but that was when you kind of really got it. Like, that was my first real, like, college basketball experience of like, hey, this isn't just Gonzaga going and beating some other team by 15 points and we're just happy they won. Like, this is there's like some emotion here and and Omar really hammed it up as he always has shout out to him for kind of still getting booed at the Spokane airport, like a few years ago, like that. I love that story. Uh, He's a very, very good basketball player was very, very villainous. And and I think is a a huge cog in this rivalry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Omar, just the, the, the cachet
0: that he carried Mm -hmm. just like the, he had, he had the character to go along with his play on the court. Mm -hmm. Like that's what, that's what usually makes this. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to go with one, not quite the level of the character, but just like also the play, the look. Mm-hmm. I have my generation, I have to go with Adam Morrison yeah. as being that chief villain mm-hmm. uh, on the Gonzaga broadcast now. And every time I see him on camera, I still like cringe a little bit yeah. seeing him there <laughs> uh, because he was just so good. We know like the player of the year, he was top three pick of the NBA draft, but he was just he came to play and he was ready to go in Moraga every single time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, and he seemed to just like thrive off of that energy from the crowd. Like he, he was one of the better college basketball players of his generation. And yet Adam Morrison is one. It's it's hard to just kind of quantify, especially in that era of St. Mary's where we were still trying to get off the ground. And he was the guy um, in the midst of that Gonzaga run uh, I I will admit, like when when Gonzaga lost to UCLA in that comeback and mm-hmm. Morrison hits the floor crying, like I definitely did enjoy that moment. <laughs> uh, but a lot, <laughs> a lot of people enjoyed that moment. Um, I was with my sweet mates. I remember exactly where I was watching that game. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Adam Morrison is probably number one for me.
3: Yeah, that's a that's he's on a lot of teams lists. I think for his his style and and uh, ability to beat you and look the way he did, I, I totally get that one. Uh, I'm going to go down to the point guard position guy who played with Hand at least for one year, uh, Matthew De La Uh the, the the mouth guard, uh, the kennel. We had a, a game, I think his senior year, where we every single person in the student section got a mouth guard and was wearing them uh, in in honor of him. I guess kind of a, uh, I mean, I, I would take that as a sign of respect. I guess. Um, very talented player, uh, was willing to kind of, you know, clap back at the kennel a little bit, always hit big shots. Uh, obviously long lengthy NBA career for him. One of the most talented players in that program. And, and he let the kennel know about it a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, all right. Next one I'm going
0: to, and Del Deli is one of the great ones. I, I also just, when I think of him, I think of what he did at BYU and the Dell of a dagger. That's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's the BYU moment I remember him most for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremy Pargo. Oh, okay. Is All one right. that I would pull and I it was more along the lines of he was just so good. He was so physical and because he was a, one of the guards for Gonzaga that was able to play above the rim.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh he the way he attacked the basket, the way he was able to really take over games late many times uh just drove me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and he obviously has had a lot uh, pretty long uh, professional career still yeah. i think he's still playing right yeah, now mm-hmm. and yeah he is he was just one of those guys that i that i dreaded seeing come into the building mm-hmm. uh and because he was because it seemed like when he saw us he played better yeah <laughs> and that's that's usually the one that's, that that makes it that much more much more it, the dread just sets in that much more, knowing yeah. that they play better against
3: you. Yeah. Uh, so Jeremy Pargo would
0: be one of the guards I'm going with.
3: I'm going looking for my other guard. Uh, there's so many options. I mean, Mahaney's already put himself in that conversation. There's guys like Nahr and Rahan and, and Jordan Ford. But I'm going back to that same era again. Um, Mickey McConnell is the pick here. Uh, game-winning three against Gonzaga in the kennel that t- took the absolute life out of that building in a way that I'll never forget. Uh, incredibly talented player uh, for that program for many years. Uh, I think that a, a guard like, if you're thinking about St. Mary's guards who've harassed Gonzaga, I think that that duo right there of, of Delhi and, and McConnell is is a pretty devastating one. And and I, I again I, in a long list of fantastic guards for St. Mary's and guards who have given Gonzaga fits, those those two stand out to me. I was going back and
0: forth on, on this one. And you know what? I think I am going to go, I'm going to switch mine because I got some feedback on, on Twitter about this one. Mm-hmm. And I initially had Matt Bolden as one of my other guards, mm-hmm. but I'm going to switch and I And I have to say Josh Perkins, ah, okay. uh, Josh Perkins. I think it was along the lines of, because of that era of Gonzaga basketball, mm-hmm. he was kind of, the fifth guy in that starting lineup. Like yeah. he had incredible a talent around him mm-hmm. on those teams. And it seemed like that he was the one that always seemed to like that ca- seemed to catch us at the wrong time yeah. on this. If you're looking at it from a St. Mary's lens, uh, Josh Perkins for everything that I know St. Mary's fans will try to say he didn't do mm-hmm. he was one of the he was one of the more successful and winning players players gonzaga's ever had he he was he was a starter for what i think it was three of the four years yeah uh so you can't you can't take away just like the impact and what josh perkins meant and the role he was able to play on on those teams and and he was a just a thorn in the side mm-hmm. of a lot of saint mary's fans over the years yeah
3: I'm going with, uh, for my, I guess my small forward position here, I'm gonna go with Calvin Hermanson and, uh, I may have a tiny bit of bias that he also went to my rival high school so he just really didn't want to to be friends with me clearly um, but really talented scorer I just remember his ability to get those corner threes off and it felt like he shot something like eighty percent in that spot was a really gifted shooter uh, he had that kind of look in a similar way to Morrison of just like doesn't look like a guy who should be killing you on the basketball court and yet he did day in day out uh, and I just remember he was a part of some of those st Mary's teams uh, that that took Gonzaga down that that uh, played it was, that was a really competitive period of time between these two teams uh, and, and he was a part of a lot of, of Gonzaga losses against the Gales. And so he stands out to me. Uh, I, was, I almost went with Steve Holt, but I honestly just loved Stephen Holt like he was a fantastic fun guy uh, and he was you know, I already went with players from that era of, of Saint Mary's basketball. so I, I thought Hermanson kind of fit well here.
0: So next one, I'm going to go and all right, I'm switching this one to initially because I had Drew Timmy, but I'm mm-hmm. like, Drew Timmy didn't feel like a full villain to me. Like he was just amazing. <laughs> you had respect for how good he was. Yeah, uh, I'm going to switch it. I'm going with Elias Harris.
3: Mm, I thought Elias might
0: be on there. <laughs> I, I'm going with Elias Harris because there were so often that he came in and just hit the dagger shot that mm-hmm. that. That set the game in motion. The one I remember very clearly, I think it was the 2012 uh, WCC Championship game, and yeah. Saint Mary's I think had a three point lead with with less than 10 seconds to go. Elias Harris hits a hits a three from the top of the key to send it to overtime, uh, and that was one of the better Gonzaga Saint Mary's games I think we've ever seen uh, that for that title. And that was a bragging rights title. There was like both teams were going to be in the tournament, so that was just a fun one to watch but even when he first arrived he was just so good yeah and that just it was like man Gonzaga has another one of these guys (laughs) and um yeah Elias Harris had a little like that energy that toughness that you you didn't want to see <laughs> again uh so Elias harris
3: yeah that's um, a great pick that's a great pick uh for my final one i was looking at a, a couple of bigs uh to kind of go alongside sam han like i thought about malik Fitz, but he never really played that well against gonzaga i thought about landale but those he, that arrow just he wasn't really the villain i i didn't feel in the same way so i'm gonna go somewhat obscure and i'm gonna go with Bo uh, who had some really good games against Gonzaga, and he's kind of back in that same era we were talking about before. Uh, I know he had some some shouting matches with the kennel. He had some altercations where he was a very emotional guy, and and you could see it that, that it felt like the kennel was getting to him, and he was getting back to them. and And I just remember him more viscerally than I remember a lot of other players. And so, uh, and he was a, he was obviously a talented guy as well. Had a couple uh, really good seasons for the Gales. So uh, he would he would be my my four in this starting lineup uh, against the Zags. <laughs> All right. So that's a good one. I love, I love Bola Vecchi. It's just the, the
0: energy he brings really everywhere. Uh, last pick I'm going with, who's probably the, he's probably the Omar light of this rivalry and it's Mm -hmm. Robert Like I can't, I couldn't make a list of, of Gonzaga villains without saying, uh, his name. Uh, he, it was kind of very similar way in the, in the, the sort of energy that that he brought that Omar brought at least like i felt like that on our end mm-hmm. uh because he would be talking to the students like he would have that energy not quite like the not quite the level of player that Omar was at the end of his career but just he was so good so consistent over the course of his gonzaga career obviously ended up uh playing in the league as well mm-hmm. for a while uh robert sacre just just got under my skin like mm-hmm. no other and yeah. maybe even more than some of the others on this list uh but Robert Sacre would round, rounds out my five
3: love it great pick
0: all right um so those who are listening uh, go go ahead and actually let us know who are your villains mm-hmm. i think it'd be great to kind of see who what other names pop up i mean i had a few others that were on my list that not quite that level, but it's Mm -hmm. great to see them great to remember these names and remember just like how the part they played in this rivalry. Uh, Andy, thanks a lot for hopping on. Uh, It's great. Always chatting with you. Uh, Gonzaga and St. Mary's this Saturday. And then for, for obviously all Zach coverage, go to find Andy on the lock on Zach's podcast. You can find them there as well.
3: Thanks Zach. Always, always fun to chat and looking forward to chatting again later this week.
1: Yep.
0: All right, Zags and Gales. It is happening this weekend. This is obviously the premier WCC matchup that we're always all are all looking forward to. Release at least on the, Zag, the Gonzaga and St. Mary's side. Everyone else would like to see both teams burn, but this is the marquee WCC game. This is the one that is circled every year by ESPN. This is the one that's circled by many college basketball fans. And... I think we're going to see a very different type of game than we're used to seeing from both of these squads, at least the matchups. like it really always does feel that either one or the other team really takes command of the tempo, and that's how this game is that's usually the end result of the game. But Andy makes a good point about the the difference in the Gonzaga team that we're seeing right now and the style of play in which they actually might be better suited, and they might act and they might be better. Playing it a little slower, being a little bit more deliberate in that half-court offense, and yes, the Saint Mary's defense is really, really good. Their top ten adjusted defense on Ken Palm. They're going to be a tough. A, that's going to be a tough group to crack. This is not a team. This is a team that plays connectively well, even though they may not have great in great great outstanding individual defenders. They are collectively just so difficult to match up against, and they are so interchangeable on that defensive end. Uh, I, Augustus as I think, has not, is an underrated defender. I think we, and I, have focused so much on what he's been able to do offensively that you kind of forget that he's been a good, good defensive player uh, so far this year. Alex Dukas has been, is one of those defenders. Luke Barrett off the bench has been great. Mitchell Saxon. Uh, so, you're looking up and down this roster. There are a lot of really good defenders, and collectively, they are even that much better. So, yeah, I Andy pointed out Aiden Mahaney as being a key for St. Mary's. For me, it's Joshua Jefferson. I think he's more the key to me because of who his assignment is likely to be, and that's Anton Watson. Anton Watson, we know, is one of the best defenders in the country. He is he is incredibly good playing inside, outside. Being able to really kind of take one person away. And it's critical for St. Mary's success that Joshua Jefferson play well. At least I think it is against this team in that location. So he's the one I'm going to circle for for St. Mary's. On the Gonzaga side, I think, and I mentioned, it, I think this is an Anton Watson game. Like the, he has to play well because he is the one who is has the deep connections the deep knowledge of this rivalry that he's the one who has to make set the tone early because unlike these other games I do not think that Gonzaga can play poorly in the first half and get a win out of this game because St. Mary's is too good once they get a lead that they will just clamp down on you even harder and that's the challenge against this team it's you you better jump out early and keep the pressure on Saint Mary's because if they get a lead, we see how well they can just put just absolutely suffocate teams. saw just a couple of weeks ago they only allowed Pacific to score twenty eight and I know it's Pacific that doesn't really move the needle all that much, but this St Mary squad is just as good defensively as it was as it was a year ago, maybe not with the elite defender that Logan Johnson was, but they're still getting the job done
1: in a very efficient way.
0: But before either of those games, before that game happens, LMU Gonzaga is happening on Tuesday night. And for me, this game is, is going to be a, it feels like it's going to be a really tough fight for for Gonzaga in this one. And for LMU, LMU is yet to get any one of these Quality, quality wins that they or quality opportunities that they've had. They've gotten close a few times. They gave Colorado State a really good run. They've nearly beaten St. Mary's twice. They look like they could have gotten a win against Oakland. They let one slip away against Stephen F. Austin. There are so many opportunities that they have had that they have not been able to cash in on, and they showed that maybe they they are putting together at least the game plan. The right game plan is happening. They took, they out rebounded St. Mary's. That's critical. They made sure that they relatively took care of the basketball for, like, I think it was, they ended up with like about 12 turnovers, which is about where you expect them to be. So, not nothing outlandish or anything like that. But it's also being able to shoot well against those defenses. Again, they shot 51% against St. Mary's. If they can do that against that team, You'd think that they actually are going to have a pretty good shot against Gonzaga, even though Gonzaga has also been a pr- much-improved defensive team this year. Also, it's the return of Dom Harris to Spokane, uh, a year removed from transferring from Gonzaga to LMU. And he really didn't get much of an opportunity to showcase what he could do up there. But we, as we have seen to this point, He's been a really good player for LMU. He's been, I think he's still their leading scorer at this point. And his contribution, I think, is critical to whether or not LMU can pull out a win or not. And keep in mind that LMU won in that building just a year ago. And I'm sure enough of the Gonzaga fans and faithful remember that, that Cam Shelton walked into that building and absolutely took over, and they were able to steal a win in the kennel. But this is a different Gonzaga team. This is a largely different LMu team. You do still have Kelly Lao Pepe. You still have Alex Merkvaladze. So there are still some pieces there that remember what it was like to get that win in the kennel. But for many, it's going to be a different. It's going to be a different vibe. It's going to be a different energy. And this is not going to be a game. I feel that Gonzaga is going to be able to run away from. Like I don't. I think LMu is going to. Stay relatively close to them. And Gonzaga might pull away late. But this does feel like one that's going to be. They're going to get 30, 32, 34 minutes into this one. And it's still going to be pretty close. I think they're going to. LMU going to hang around in this one for a long time. Unfortunately for them. Uh This still feels like a Zag win. um Up in Spokane before they host St. Mary's. All right. Switching over to Santa Clara and St. Mary's. This this is a dangerous game, I think, for St. Mary's.
1: Because, metrically, this looks a lot like Weber State.
0: And this is a Santa Clara team that we know is capable of beating anybody. They've already beaten Gonzaga. They've already beaten Oregon. They've already beaten Washington State. They, They are capable of beating almost anyone. Like they have the talent. It's a matter of whether they put it all together. And since that loss to St. Mary's, they've quietly gone about their business. They, they've won three in a row. So they are sitting there at six and one and doing
1: what they're supposed to do against Pacific Portland, Pepperdine.
0: And I don't think that what we saw against, uh, when Santa Clara played St. Mary's a couple weeks ago, was a good rep- representation of Santa Clara. That was about as bad as I've seen them play all year. And I've seen a lot of their, most of their games to this point, they were coming off the Gonzaga when they had to play St. Mary's two days later, which for any team having to see Gonzaga St. Mary's back to back is a, is a rough, rough go. USF had to do that. San Diego had to do that. Pacific had to do that. I don't know how many, how, so many of these teams had to end up playing Gonzaga-St. Mary's back-to-back, but there's been a, quite a few teams who have had to, to do that one too. And
1: I don't expect Adama Ball to be held to four points again. I don't expect Carlos Marshall to only score one point again.
0: I expect this to be a vastly different game than the first one we saw. I expect Santa Clara to be in this game from the get-go. I expect them to be able to rebound better than they did a couple uh, couple weeks ago. This The Santa Clara team is better than what we saw, and I don't think for the St. Mary's fans who saw that game, watched that game, and were very happy to see uh, the the old-time rival Santa Clara go down in flames. I would not expect that to be the blueprint on how you're going to have to beat this team on Wednesday. Because they're going to come out hungrier, they're going to come out more focused, and they've also had a full week to prepare for St. Mary's. They have not played since last Thursday. They were off on Saturday. This gives them so much more time to rest up, prep, and get ready for a team that embarrassed them just a couple weeks ago. And this team is good enough, talented enough to get the job done. And I think the rebounding is going to is the key in this one. St. Mary's is one of the best rebounding teams in the country, one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. And second chance points is a critical component to their success. If St. Mary's can continue to do that and dominate on the boards, do their part on with second chance points, they probably pull this one out. I think you also need to obviously have like have solid performances from either Augustus Marshallonis or Aiden Mahaney. I think Luke Barrett will play a little bit more of a factor in this one. And for for Santa Clara, I you need a big game from Adama Ball. I feel like that's that's a given. You need a big game from him. You need uh, you need Johnny O'Neill to also be big and hitting some clutch shots. Carlos, Carlos Marshall Jr. needs to get off to a good start in this game. I think you're going to need Bretton Knapper to also play a big factor in this one. Knapper was an enormous component in the win over Gonzaga, and he, he, like most of the rest of the roster, was a non-factor against St. Mary's. So I think it's critical that a lot of their role players play well. That doesn't mean that they have to score 15 points, but they need to contribute, take care of the basketball, and do all the little things well. Because St. Mary's does all the little things well. They rebound. They take care of the basketball. They share it. They are going to attack the basket. They're, we know they're not the greatest of shooting teams. So that is an area you need to take advantage of. And if you can keep them off the glass, that gives you a shot to beat St. Mary's on Thursday, on Wednesday. All right, and then just take a quick look at the rest of the WCC slate. It is a little bit lighter on the on on that front. It's also the first disjointed week, so we have a game on Tuesday, a game on Wednesday, two on Thursday, Portland Pacific, and then San Diego USF. And then the weekend, San Diego at Santa Clara, Pepperdine Portland, St. Mary's and Gonzaga, and then Pacific and San Francisco. All right. There, we will not, i will not be hosting a live this week because of the schedule a little bit just join it we'll skip a week and we'll try again uh the following week all right. now'll do it so be sure to subscribe to the channel be sure to subscribe uh on your and favor on your favorite streaming service follow along on social media at post by zach that'll do it have a great week everybody and i will catch you next time <laughs>